Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. This is Season 1, Episode 7 of the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Rupi, who is the founder of Doctor's Kitchen, um, which is a project to inspire patients about the beauty of food uh, and the medicinal effects of eating well. Hi, Dr. Rupi. How are you? Hi, Darren. How's it going? Yeah, good. Cool. Excellent. Thanks for, for coming on to the show today and taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I know you're, as we've just been discussing, actually, you're an extremely busy guy and I don't know how you fit it all in. Um, but yeah, massive uh, hats off to you. But before we kind of kick off the show today, for people that maybe haven't heard about you before or come across you, it'd be good if you could kind of give us a brief introduction um, to, to yourself, the doctor's kitchen and kind of your overall kind of career, really, and what, what you're what you're trying to kind of achieve. Sure, sure. So thank you so much. First of all, I mean, it's a pleasure to, to chat to you and, and your audience as well. And, and it's exactly the sort of clientele I'm looking to um, to try and influence as well, sort of like the men as well as uh, females who, who traditionally have a, a bit more of an interest in the subject naturally. Yeah. Um, but sort of my story, uh, well, my background is I'm a fully qualified general practitioner who works in the NHS I work in emergency medicine as well. I uh, started the Doctor's Kitchen about four years ago now. I started a non-profit called Coloring Medicine, which is uh, basically uh, to try and teach doctors how to cook as well as the foundations of clinical nutrition. And I'm currently doing my master's in nutritional medicine at the University of Surrey. Um, and so the way I started um, my sort of my own personal health journey is uh, it mirrors quite a few other people in this sort of space. <laughs> it, it's through personal experience of yeah. ill health um, and really forcing bit or being forced to take a step back and reassess sort of right. lifestyle of which diet is a very important part and um, making positive changes that in my case led to uh, remission of quite a serious and unusual condition for a young person to go through is atrial fibrillation it's something yeah. i spoke about in the first book um and uh yeah it's like it's it, it's where your heart beats irregularly and, and in my case very fast and i was actually working uh, as a junior doctor at the time and uh it was um it was it was a bit of a shock and i i went through a year yeah. of like investigations and having a whole bunch of uh, different uh, opinions from cardiologists and physicians and um, it wasn't until my mum who's not a medic and not trained in medicine actually told me you know you need to look at your lifestyle and at the time I was working as a junior doctor we were doing night shifts eating poorly lots of stress uh, yeah. not really focusing on on working out or, or self-care um, yeah. and through really systematically giving attention to all those different uh, elements of lifestyle um my condition miraculously went away and there is so yeah. you know diet and lifestyle is a panacea for everything but it's certainly yeah. the starting point it should be the starting point for a lot of the things that we see as general practitioners across yeah. the nhs 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting, isn't it? I, and I found this again through my own kind of personal experience, and that is, you know, with with doctors working as hard as they do, nurses or anything in the NHS trying to fix everybody, you know, it, it's it's the angle that's taken is is generally around um, kind of I don't want to say um, firefighting, but it's more a kind of fixing once it's broken yeah. instead of approaching it from the angle of okay well I feel okay but what can I do to improve and very you know starting with food it, it, when I talk about it and perhaps when you talk about it to me now sounds very simple and very logical mm. but it's, it's amazing how people still don't understand that right so you know we, we are kind of as consumers we are marketed to and we go into the supermarket and we assume that sometimes because it says be good for you or it's low fat that okay that must be good we'll just stick it in the trolley and we'll eat that very rarely do people take the time to really understand what food is all about and like you said it's kind of the building blocks the cornerstone to to everything we do our health and wellness and mindset and it's just a a kind of a real important thing that um, not many people understand yeah I I think you've picked up on something that's pretty poignant there which is we tend to be passive consumers of health information rather than being sort of our own advocates and and if I have like an aspiration it's to try and convince people that they can be uh, experts of their own health that they can take control using sort of the principles of healthy eating and lifestyle that I, I talk about quite openly uh, yeah. and, and the evidence that underpins that, um, but really being a lot, lot more intuitive about what it means to, to lead a healthy lifestyle and what that means for that individual as well, because there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach. No. But a, a lot of the things do overlap. Um, and I think also like as, as humans, and I don't know what the evolutionary drive is, but we're drawn to sort of these quick fixes uh, you know, if something says healthy, okay, fine. We'll just bang that in the in the shopping trolley and we'll do that. Or, you know, if the latest diet, uh, whether it be keto, whether it be celery juice, if certain people have found like amazing benefits, you know what, I'm just going to go straight for that one rather than getting the foundations in place as as the, the starting point, really. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think, yeah, totally. You're, you're right about that. We need to sort of encourage people to be a lot more pragmatic. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's just, it's it's awareness, isn't it? It's consciousness. You know, we all lead busy lives, we have busy families, busy careers. You know, we're focused on our careers as obviously you you are, are um, we're focused on our families. And, you know, f- food is just there, isn't it? It's just in the background. Like you've said, you know, we want stuff quickly. We'll go online, we'll fill our shopping trolley up. You know, it gets delivered to the house where you just quickly run around the supermarket and put stuff in the trolley. And it's just kind of stopping, kind of reflecting and being aware of actually, well, is, you know, and just asking basic questions, isn't it really? Well, is that what I'm putting in my body or what I'm cooking? Is that right for me? You know, mm-hmm. um, and often, like you said, you know, it's not until you have a health scare or you, you know, you have an illness, or maybe a family member has an illness, do you actually then stop and reflect? Whereas if we approached it from a different aspect and made it part of our daily lives, then, you know, maybe the results would be different. And I think on a bigger scale, you know, perhaps, you know, the medical service would would have less pressure. 
Absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean that, that pretty much sums up exactly why I wrote the second book, E to B Illness, right. because it, rather than people thinking, oh, once I have something wrong with me, like uh, imbalanced cholesterol ratios or obesity or uh, a heart scare, um, yeah. And then I need to react to that. Eating mm-hmm. the illness is really simple changes to our diet and lifestyle that can amplify amplify our defenses at ever getting a condition or ill health in the first place. Yeah. And that is the lens at which we should be looking at healthcare rather than uh, reacting to it like we do in the emergency department, like I do a lot of the time in general practice because of the sheer patient footfall that we have come through the door. We need to yeah. think laterally and look through the the perspective of uh, preventative medicine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, you, you you touched on it there. Your your new book is is around using um, kind of food to to I guess maybe as medicine or to feel better. To, so so your your kind of philosophy on food as medicine, then, or do you you know? is that a philosophy you follow as food as medicine or is it just in general about just being more conscious, more aware um, and using food that that meets kind of your individual needs or body requirements or is it food as medicine? Uh, So that's a really good point. So medicine, if we use the technical definition of it, is any substance or intervention that can prevent or treat ill health. And if we use that definition, what we choose to put on our plates, our general diet and how we live our lives mm. massively correlates with that. And, and, and yeah. that's why I think to get the importance of dietary changes into the, uh, into the consciousness of the general public, using a statement like food and medicine or food as medicine and food and medicine, you know, is yeah. very important actually because it, it makes people recognize just how powerful um, uh, these sorts of interventions can be for our health at preventing and protecting us. And in the small instances, and in a few instances we've seen, and I touched about this in the book, you know, how we can use uh, food in a, in a treatment context in a therapeutic way, whether it be a particular type of diet for type 2 diabetes and improving glycemic control, or whether it be um, a higher fat diet for certain types of uh, epilepsy or chronic pain or migraines. And then a majority of instances, we're looking at food as something that has incredible ability to protect us against ever getting ill. And that's yeah. why food as medicine for me is not something to be trendy. It's not something that's unscientific. In fact, it's it's just fact. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, me as an NHS doctor talking about this back in 2015, I was quite... Um, uh, fearful of like a backlash against me because you know it, it doesn't seem like something that a conventionally trained doctor should be talking about but i think you know from a common sense point of view it just makes a lot of sense and it's something that we've known for millennia as well if we look at ancient yeah. medicine you know we've obviously evolved much beyond what we previously thought in terms of the rigor of our science now but mm-hmm. certainly the principles of like how to look after our incredible machines the our bodies yeah. and our minds um, yes. It's always been there. And we really need to like take a pinch of sort of teachings from from all manner of different disciplines of which, you know, um, intuitive medicine or alternative medicine or complementary medicine, call it whatever you want. You know, it does hold true. And, and that's why I'm, I'm a massive advocate for it. 
Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I fully agree. And um, it's 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 once you start to kind of delve deeper into different food types, you know what uh, what they're made up of, um, and where they kind of can impact various different areas of the body. It, it, it then becomes not. I, I don't want to say simple because that kind of makes it sound very basic, but mm. but it becomes a lot easier and a uh, um, to, to make uh, good food choices mm, yeah. um, and, 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 and then that then becomes, once you start to understand that, that in some ways becomes unconscious because once you've learned about it, you've understood it, when you are going to be a consumer of food, whether that's in a restaurant, whether that's in the supermarket at home, you know, it's very easy to make those choices. Well, you know, my body reacts better to this or maybe I've got an you know, a particular condition where if I eat this, it makes me feel terrible. If I eat this, it makes me feel better. Um, and it's just it's just that understanding and that knowledge that you can then just, uh, you know, it doesn't then have to be a, this big kind of deal, if you like, yeah. Yeah. Um, around around your food choices. And, and the um, other thing, just to add on that, uh, before yeah. I forget, is, you know, sometimes we can eat food uh, for years and years and years before it has a demonstrable impact on our health i mean not to point the blame solely at diet in my case but certainly it was a contributing factor for a lot of people whether it be their first heart attack whether it be um their mental health you know food doesn't really uh feature in the horizon and it's really about teaching uh general public and just all of us including ourselves doctors as Mm -hmm. patients you know to appreciate the the magnitude of the effects of food because a lot of the times, you know, we can eat a diet of refined carbohydrates, we can, we can have a diet of energy drinks, we can have uh, a lifestyle that is not conducive to well-being. And mm-hmm. purely, purely out of the resilience of our incredible human bodies, we yeah. will deal with those, those um, uh, insults for years and years and years before we succumb to ill health. It's like the... Um, I always like to use the analogy of smoking in in the clinic. Right, you can sm- you can take a known carcinogen, one of the most one of the most um, uh, terrible carcinogens we 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 know we have uh, in the public domain, and you can ingest it ten to twenty times every single day for years before yeah. you succumb to something like emphysema, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Or, yeah. um, uh, uh, or or lung cancer, obviously. So, and, and that is just testament to just how incredible our bodies are. But we do need to look after it, and we start with our plates. Yeah, and I I think that's that's a, a very interesting point around the fact that how resilient you know our 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 bodies are, and how much kind of punishment it can withstand before it says, "All right, n- now's enough." now you know it's it's malfunctioned or developed a really serious chronic illness and at that point it's kind of like it's you know in some cases it's too late you know you can't reverse it at that point you've given it all the the kind of pummeling and damage that it can possibly take and there is no it's not reversible but i think the other thing as well is um i've recently had a gut health test and you know, some of the, there was some flags that come up come up in there that were you know relatively serious. But the interesting thing for me is I now know about that and I can adapt my diet to do something about it to bring them down lower. Right. So yeah. what could maybe have developed into a serious illness because I'm now aware of it, I can make changes to my daily diet and it doesn't have to get to the point where I maybe need to go and see 
you know, a doctor or I need to go on to some serious medication or the rest of it. So, so yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, that's really important. So in, in terms of like the, the biggest issue that you, you see today with, with food in our society, whether that be processed, whether that be, you know, eating com- for convenience, do you, do you see kind of like a, a, a kind of common theme as, as a, you know, as a, a population that we've we've moved across to that we perhaps shouldn't is not good for our bodies um that quite easily we could change is is it is it convenience is it processed foods that we all you know that we demand as consumers what kind of thing do you see as an issue yeah i think there's a there's a couple of things i think the first thing is that from a young age uh, at least nowadays anyway we're not really taught to appreciate just uh the medicinal effects of eating well and looking after our health in general We've lost that connection with our food, where it comes from, where it's grown, sitting around a family table, the dynamic of a family eating together, um, Mm. the dynamic of of being taught how to cook from a young age by your your parents or your extended family members. So that that one thing I think has been lost. On the same time, uh, on, on the other side of the spectrum, we are being sold products that feed into our Paleolithic minds where we are sort of sugar hungry and we respond to that and we also demand convenience so we want all those things jumbled up with taste and um, the availability of food and unfortunately because we are designed in such a way to always seek food we and we have it at every uh, opportunity now it's i mean 24 7 uh, we will naturally indulge in that i mean and that and this is why we are seeing you know post-war we, we can see the consumption of products uh, that are high in salt, high in sugar, high in yeah. carbohydrates, etc., they have all gone up because the availability has gone up and we don't really recognize, or we now recognize, but traditionally we haven't recognized the ill impact yeah. of that. So I think that that's sort of like um, the issue is very simplified. Um, yeah. There's a whole bunch of other things, you know, a psychedelic environment, um, uh, how we have products uh, advertised to us, um, uh, in, in the name of uh, profits and, and um, how we eat on a 24-hour cycle, you know, loads of different things. But I think that's probably the, the main crux of it. And I think w- once we start to understand what our biological mechanisms are, why we respond so positively to high salt and high sugar items, then we can start to make some informed choices. Like, yeah. for example, a simple one that I talk about um, in the book and I've talked about uh, previously in podcasts and stuff is uh, just eating in a general 10 to 12 hour window. Yes. We're not designed as human beings to eat 24 hours around the day. We mm-hmm. uh, have our cells that operate all on a rough 24 hour cycle, a circadian rhythm that responds to a whole bunch of different stimuli, one of them being light. Um, yeah. And different cells in our body, namely our liver, which is probably most. Um, uh, um, important in this discussion when it comes to timing of food uh, is not uh, meant to be subject to uh, the influx of of energy from food um, uh, at extended periods throughout the day. So you know we've adapted to to have periods of fasting and uh, eating, and unfortunately that's been disrupted by the, avail- the sheer availability of food yeah. all over. Yeah. Um, and this concept of never being hungry as well. I mean, I appreciate this doesn't impact everyone because some people have unhealthy relationships with food and, and they yeah. could never really take this advice. But yeah. the concept of being hungry has sort of been lost in modern society. It's no longer acceptable to be hungry uh, yeah. given the availability of food. 
So I think, you know, with all these sorts of things combined, it's it's no wonder that we're looking at a more unhealthy population. But that's not yeah. to say that we can't uh, reverse uh, the issues that we're seeing and prevent the epidemic of lifestyle-related disease with greater understanding. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I can't remember what episode of your podcast I was listening to, but you had a lady on there who had been working out in, I think it was Switzerland. Um, I think she was a, a, a doctor or, or maybe a, a medical researcher. Oh, yeah. yeah, Jenna Machoki. That's it, yeah. yeah. She was talking about how they eat and how they eat within that window and they eat the three meals a day and they don't start grazing and they don't start, you know, their convenience of food is not there. The shops are not open all the time, so they're not, you know, the food's not constantly available. Yeah. But when they do eat, they sit down and have a proper big meal. Uh, and and then they're, then they're then they're only eating those three times a day. They don't eat, eat in between. They might have a few drinks. But I think there's a lot. There is a lot to be said for that, isn't there? Particularly around kind of um, you kind of uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but but your kind of gut health and things like that, giving your 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 body a rest from constantly processing that food that you're giving it. Yeah. Um, and 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 the other thing as well is I think a, a lot of the, the the kind of salts and sugars is because it's kind of making people for for that short period of time it, it it's it make them feel good I know it's like a dopamine release or something like that so some of it comes down to the emotional side of eating you eat that because it makes you feel good or maybe you're bored um, and I think the other thing could be you know right back from childhood I believe as well you know you eat certain foods when you're adults because of the relationship you had maybe with food when you were a child maybe you were restricted for certain types of food yeah so when you're an adult you then start to eat that food whether it's good bad or or, or whatever so um, I think there's a big emotional side to it as well huge yeah I think certainly emotional eating is 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 definitely part of the issue um, and it's funny, you know, you picked up on uh, the stuff with, uh, with regards to childhood and um, yeah. memories and stuff. Whilst I would never want to uh, restrict anyone from uh, indulging in something that uh, brings about nostalgia because food isn't purely about fuel. Uh, it's, you know, it's the emotional connection is how we celebrate uh, uh, different cultures. Uh, yeah. And, you know, th- there's so much complexity around the enjoyment of food. Um, but like, you're right. Like once we have like, uh, um, uh, autonomy over like when and how much we eat, if we don't have that understanding, the simple understanding of the importance of when you eat and what you eat, um, then we can go into overdrive essentially. And that's why I think a lot of people have issues with just, uh, eating late into the night. Uh, if they don't recognize that that's going to have a problem. So that's why like, you know, the whole concept of simple changes, simple awareness of mm-hmm. what things do to your body and when you should be indulging versus indulging all the time and people won't realize that they're indulging all the time is 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 critical i think um you know i i i mean the majority of patients that i would see and i come and ask about what the perception of their diet is like most of them think it's normal and that's because we have been taught that cereal in the morning sandwiches at lunch and a pasta dinner at night is a normal diet whereas i would argue actually yes you know uh, those things can make you micronutrient replete i.e the recommended daily allowances for your magnesium your 
yeah. vitamin E and C might be met by those, but in the grander scheme of things, it's way too high in refined carbohydrates. It's going to have a detrimental impact on certain populations, particularly those from uh, Afro-Caribbean origins and Indian origins because of yeah. our relationship with or propensity to type 2 diabetes. Um, and unless we re- rebalance uh, and, and rethink the way we see food, we're going to see that over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's, that's yeah, really important. I think um, the, the other thing as well is I, I feel that it, it's food and drink. So, for example, around, um, you know, always eating or always feel like you're hungry and things like that. I, and I do it with my kids, you know, nine times out of ten, when you ask, they say they're hungry and they say, can I have some a snack? You know, if they're kids, they, the, the natural kind of reaction is, well, they're young, they're kids, they're growing. Um, but but if you get them say, well, have you? Ha- when was the last time you had something to drink? Well, I'm, I haven't had anything to drink for the last three hours. Have some water uh, and then tell me if you're hungry. And nine times out of ten, they're not. So my, my point is that, you know, we we feel hungry and hydration, I think, is one of the biggest overlooked things Um or misoverlooked things that 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 we don't uh, think about, and that is, you know, if you feel tired, if you lose concentration, you know, all of those things are down to hydration in some cases. Um, so I think it, that that's the other side to it. You, you, it's not necessarily about food; it's also about the other elements, hydration and you know, fluids and, and drinking and things like that. Yeah, absolutely, and also the emotions uh, of of what you're feeling in that point, you know, there's, there's research looking at stressed individuals and how that leads to food seeking behavior. There's the impact of inflammation, uh, post uh, poor night's sleep, um, and how that leads to again, more food seeking behavior. Um, there's some elegantly controlled studies looking at, uh, you know, if you purposely restrict people's sleep, um, and give them a sort of an ab libidum buffet the next day, uh, what actually happens in in um, in that sort of experimental environment, and that correlates with precisely what you see, um, like on a personal level. I know if I've had bad sleep the next day, like I'm ravenous, and I've never really understood that. And it wasn't until recently that I read Professor Matthew Walker's book that I kind of understood the well, well I appreciate the um, mechanistic pathways to why that is uh, the case. And why from an, I always like to use the sort of um, perspective of evolution, like why we adapted to, to do that. What is the advantage for us as a human being, as a human race? Um, mm. And I suppose it's to fuel us to, you know, ensure that we're getting um, a good sleep the following day. And, you know, there are a whole bunch of different theories out there. But I, I yeah. think like, you know, once we understand um, our, our sort of makeup, that, that's why um, we can have a, a better relationship with food and, and, a, and a better understanding of why lifestyle is so important. Yeah, absolutely. But but one of the biggest things as well is, is around change, isn't it? So, you know, like you said previously, you know, we've perhaps been conditioned from when we were younger to have cereal for breakfast, sandwiches for lunch, and then pasta for dinner. But talking about food and, and, and being more aware of it, to actually make that change, to say, right, I'm going to now change my diet, I think is one of the biggest challenges for people because it's not necessarily, you know, people can decide to make the change, but it's being consistent and persistent around that change, isn't it? Which is one of, I think, 
one of the biggest challenges that people face. Yeah, definitely. You know, something I, I speak to with uh, some of my general practice colleagues quite a bit because, you know, we see an incredible number of patients every single day, you know, upwards yeah. of um, 30, 40 patients a day. And we've, we've got to hone in on those quick wins. And um, yeah. my colleagues have, uh, well, we teach each other um, over the last couple of years about ways in which we can instigate quick lifestyle changes that motivate people. And, and one of the most effective ones, actually, uh, that I, I've used in practice to, to give result is um, not telling them to change anything and just telling them to change when they eat. <laughs> and, and so if, if I say to you, let's say, you know, you, you had your, your diet um, uh, before you started making the healthy lifestyle changes, before you decide to, to lose weight. And I said to you, I don't want you to change anything. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what you eat for breakfast. I don't care what you eat for dinner. All I want you to do is just eat between uh 8 a.m if that's when you first eat and i don't want you to eat after 7 p.m that's it just just stick to an 11 hour window of eating that's all i want you to do and just stick with that for a couple of weeks come see me again let me know how you feel what will probably happen is you'll probably won't snack late at night which a lot of people do unconsciously you know you're in front of the tv you've just come back from work you, you know whether you're eating peanuts or whether you're eating crisps you're, whatever you'll probably stop that so you're probably going to reduce your energy intake that's one thing there's also evidence to, to, to suggest that when you're uh, restricting your um, eating window to around 11 hours you're changing um, uh, mechanisms that reduce inflammation you're giving your gut we were talking about gut, the gut earlier you're giving your gut a rest um, the tight junctions that naturally open when you have the digestive process closed and you allow them to close instead of constantly giving them a barrage of things to do so that allows it to rest um, and it probably impacts your sleep as well so if you're eating you know um, uh, up to the time when you're just about to go to sleep it impacts your melatonin your sleepy hormones it has an impact on your circadian rhythm if you take that away then you, you know, you, you may be positively impacting your sleep, which might have an impact on your um, satiety levels the following day. So just by that one thing that I think is quite reasonable for a lot of people without introducing the concept of fasting or restriction or energy or, or macro counting or anything like that, it's probably one of the simplest things that you can do to get people's attention and actually to get them to stick with it as well. Um, yeah. And then it's just a case of changing one thing at a time according yeah. to the patient's um, uh, need, first of all, but also their motivation, how much they think they can reasonably uh, make. It's sort of a, a motivational interviewing technique we, we do rather than me going in with the same sort of um, tactic every single time. So I'm modulating it for that person. So, you know, if you're a shift worker and you have to get out the door by five and I'm saying breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yeah. They're going to have to wake up at 4.30 to make breakfast. That's not going to happen. Um, no. So making a sort of suggestion that's tailored to that particular individual is going to be very important. Um, and I, so, yeah, that, that's, I think it's just about honing on, on, on the things that people can change and making it one step at a time. Um, yeah. Because if I was to try and get everyone to eat the way I do, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, exercise in the morning, try to introduce meditation, do all the other um, uh, sorts of lifestyle practices that I do, you know, it's just not going to happen. People are going to fall off the wheel and they're going to get demotivated. They might not try again. And I think that's that's the biggest issue. The, 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 the point that you made there about just changing one thing, you know, people can stick to that one thing. But all too often what you see is people have got 
a specific goal. Right, I'm overweight, so I want to lose weight. And all of a sudden, from one day to the next, they completely flip it on its head and start following all these, you know, the diets and all the rest of it. And it's just not going to work because it's just, it's nothing to do with the diet. It's just too much of a bigger change and too much for people to kind of take in. And when the going gets tough, it's just easy to revert, isn't it? It's just easy to go back to how you were because that's what you know and you don't have to think about it. Exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, we see a lot of yo-yo dieting because there is a promise. If you just do this, if we just make these extreme changes for a short amount of time, you're going to you know, get these sorts of results. And whilst that might be appropriate for certain people, I'd never want to make a generalization. Um, yeah. Some people have had some amazing successes, and that's great because they have that motivating factor. The majority of people uh, that would instigate that sort of like rapid weight loss or that rapid change or that, that very drastic difference from what their norm is will probably fall off the wagon purely because – um, well, a whole bunch of reasons, but it's just not something that might be sustainable for that individual. So yeah. tailoring suggestions to whatever someone's lifestyle is currently is and making it conducive to them is, I think, probably the the, the hardest thing to do, but also um, the best thing to do in terms of re- trying to make a real impact on on behavior change. Yeah, um, and and just just to kind of touch on about diets when when people have specific goals that you know. You know, I don't know beach bodies, or they want to lose certain weight, or the rest of it. As we've already kind of discussed, you know, there is no one size fits all. But why is it that you think that people kind of gravitate towards you know the latest diet? I think for me at the moment, it seems to be a, a mix between paleo and keto. People seem to be jumping on that kind of bandwagon at the moment. But what do you think it is that motivates people to to kind of run towards these latest and greatest? kind of fixes which we know that are not long term yeah i think um you know like a, a shred of research that comes out and it kind of magnifies the promise of a particular diet that makes it seem uh quite um accessible it's very attractive for people you know like yeah. i've been tempted in the past before i actually did a deep dive into this stuff to like you know follow a particular uh diet or just self-experiment and stuff and um you know, i can understand that the the consumer from that point of view particularly if you know you've tried a whole bunch of other things like oh maybe this is the one or you know it worked for a particular yeah. influential person whether it be a celebrity or whether it be a footballer or whether it be you know someone that inspires you in some way you're more likely to gravitate to it so i can understand and i sympathize with people's sort of um desire for a fix and and that's not to say that any of these diets are, are easy a lot of them are hot particularly ketogenic is very very hard to yeah. keep on and you know um trying to actually get some good results and it's, it's quite restrictive um but at the same time like i like to try and get people to think logically about it and take a step back because when you whether you look at and this is something i talked about in my first book where i, I spent a whole chapter looking at all the different diets and the pros and cons of them when you look yeah. when you take a step back and you look at vegan, keto, paleo, uh, the the beach body diet. There was some another one that came out West Coast America. Um, yeah. A whole bunch of low carbing, a whole bunch of them. The eighty percent of them focus around some core features, and that's getting loads of uh, uh, veggies on your plate. Um, yeah. It's getting a variety of different foods that we know will improve your gut microbiota, probably make you go to the toilet more, and probably yeah. impact a whole bunch of other processes modulated by uh, the microbes that live in your large intestine. Um, and they remove all the junk. 
They remove the processed meats, they remove refined carbohydrates, they remove added sugars, they remove fizzy drinks, and uh, they remove uh, convenience options. So if you think about it from the perspective of just those factors, regardless of what you call it, you get, yeah. and you're moving someone from probably a highly processed diet, you're going to get some pretty incredible results, regardless yeah. of what yeah. you call it. So that's why, you know, I can appreciate, and I'm very open-minded, you know, if someone comes in or, or a, a colleague is like, you know, I believe in paleo diet, it's really helped X, Y, Z, or, you know, I've, I've been doing low carb with some of my patients, that's great. But I wouldn't want people to be... Um, uh, confused in that it, the reason why it worked is because it was exactly according to these principles the reason why it's worked is probably because it um it correlates with 80 percent of uh the good stuff between all the diets yeah 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 i think for, for me it's it's if you if you really strip it back and, and you take it like you just said if you take a look at all of those diets you know provided you've got all of your macronutrients in there provided you are cooking wholesome fresh food that's not gone through a process and providing you're watching your portion control because that's one of the other biggest things isn't it having a massive plate of food yeah um you know taking those three things if you take them three things kind of very basically if you if you know if today you've not got that in your diet but you implement those three things i you know i would argue within a short space of time you will start to see some some very significant changes in it and that won't necessarily be around the weight side of things but it will just be how you feel in general i mean for me once i started to, to understand nutrition and transition across the kind of mental awareness and alertness that i had instead of this constant fogginess that sometimes we feel yeah. was amazing yeah yeah no it, and it's something that i um i see quite a lot and i hear about quite a bit actually it's you know this sort of vague symptom of uh not feeling quite right or like a cognitive sort of slowing um yeah. uh, fogginess is is like the word that a lot of people use and there's a lot of reasons as to why that might be hydration status is probably some one of the easiest and commonest things i see that people just don't drink enough or they feel like they drink enough but it's actually in the way of diuretics like tea and coffee um poor sleep can do that so if your sleep's disrupted you're definitely going to be slower the next day this mild sort of low-grade background inflammation term meta-inflammation can be perpetuated by your diet and what you choose um uh, to eat and drink throughout the day so when you take that sort of high sugar diet out it's no wonder people feel quite refreshed um and fiber as well. We know that uh, your microbes can modulate a whole bunch of different processes that lower inflammation, improve glycemic control, um, lower sort of the, the lulls that you see after eating and stuff. So, you know, that there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons as to why you have this kind of soft symptom that's unexplained by any particular yeah. test that I can do, bar maybe um, a, a high sensitivity CRP, uh, a marker of inflammation. Um, but it, it sort of lifts when you change your lifestyle. Um, so yeah, I, I you know that I can I can totally resonate with uh, with people saying that as a as a symptom. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of kind of actions that that people that are listening uh, today could make to to their yeah to their diets or just to their daily routines, what would you kind of suggest would be five kind of key actions that people could take? Yeah. So with the with the from the perspective of diet, 
on its own. So without talking about lifestyle, without talking about sleep, without talking about your sense of purpose, your community, your, you know, all the sort of tribal mechanisms that we have to be very appreciative of. If we're just going to hone down a diet, I sort of summarized it into healthy eating principles that I've talked about on my website and, and talked about in the new book, Eat to Be Illness. And, and that is, those are pretty simple. It's eat colors. That's probably the first thing. Yes. Colors represent micronutrients, uh, minerals, but also the phytonutrients that you find in plant foods. So we're talking about the greens, the purples, the reds, rather than saying to yourself, oh, I'm going to eat greens because it's got sulfurophrenin in and that's going to have this anti-inflammatory potential. Really, you're eating the whole plant, which has fiber, which has a whole unique sec- uh, selection of phytonutrients, some of which we haven't even studied yet. And there are thousands out there. Um, but we know when people eat more plants um, they have generally healthy outcomes and that brings me nicely onto the second principle which is eat mostly plants or like I say plant focused so you don't need to be 100% vegan to live a healthy lifestyle you don't need to be vegetarian but the more plants you have in your plate the better for you Um, and a variety of that uh, even 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 more so Um, so this the sort of um, uh, this myth that you, you can't hit five a day or it's too expensive or it's not achievable. I I don't think that's the case, actually. I think with the average household, you can hit way over five a day. And most of the recipes that I create have got at least two or three um, yeah. in them. So, And that's sort of like a purposeful inclusion. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so getting plant-focused is super important. Fiber cannot be understated. The amount of knowledge that we've had now or the amount of information we have about um uh, fiber and its its impacts on our health uh yeah. perpetuated through modulated through the microbiota the population of microbes bacteria but also viruses and fungi that live in our uh, gut um our large intestine cannot be understated so you know if you're eating lentils beans pulses these are quality proteins that also quality fibers so getting that into your diet would be wonderful um yeah quality fats is the fourth thing um so we've been led to believe like low fat because it's high calories and it doesn't you know um uh it uh it's all about energy balance um and whilst uh certain fats can be uh very calorific and i'm talking really of the refined oils the deep fried foods the chips and that kind of stuff when you look at whole fats in the form of um almonds or uh, certain types of nuts or extra vegetable oil the the whole form of the nut in particular slows down the absorption of the energy from calories from the the, uh, the fats themselves so you're not actually digesting as much that will be in a pack when you when you look at a packet and they've got the the red the red light signals on them it'll be yeah. red and that's quite shocking for a lot of people and they, they feel they can only have you know three or four almonds or something that's a myth because the, it completely negates the digestive process, which means that you don't actually absorb um, a significant proportion of the calories. But you are providing your microbiota with is lots of different types of fiber and protein as well. Um, so you, you know, nuts, seeds, absolutely fantastic source of fats. Um, not to overindulge in them, but it certainly should be part of our diet. Fats are very, very necessary. Um, and uh, eating in time. It's the fifth thing. It's the simplest thing we can do. Eat in a rough 10 to 12 hour window. Try and keep it a few hours before bed if you can. It's a, prin- it's a principle and a guide. It's not a rule. So, you know, 
if you're going to have a dinner on Friday night and it's 9 p.m., enjoy it. You, you don't, don't feel like you've restricted, oh, you know, I can't eat this because it doesn't fit to the way I should be eating. Well, part of living, and, and, and this is why I talk about community and sense of purpose so much, um, is the enjoyment of, of living. It's the enjoyment of food. And, you know, I'd never want anyone to be so puritanical that they couldn't enjoy that. Um, those are pretty much the the key actions. And I think, you know, if people were to integrate those from a nutrition perspective, we'll be, we'll be looking at a much healthier population. Yeah, definitely. I think some of uh, the key things that you mentioned there around, particularly around the financial element, you know, people seem to assume that to eat healthily, it costs you more. Actually, I found when I switched to more of a plant-based diet, my food bill actually went down. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the other the other thing um, is uh, oh well as well is around fats and I actually had a conversation with somebody this morning um, around fats um, and around you know eating uh, your omega three fats which is obviously good for your your brain health yeah. um, and, and snacking on nuts and seeds and and I was telling them that I was having butter and they kind of like almost kind of bolted the fact that I was having butter <laughs> yeah. so bad. bad. <laughs> No, it's not. It's a myth that it's bad. Yeah. Yes, it's bad if you eat it by the bucket. Yeah, like yeah. But if you eat it, eat it in moderation, it's, it's actually very, very good. Absolutely, um, for you. Yeah. Um, and 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 the other thing is is the, is the time eating. You know, I I I probably at the beginning of the year I switched to that where you know I would eat in a in a you know within a an eight hour window I use, um, and that works really well for me. Um, and like you say, particularly around sleep, and this is a whole massive subject that we could talk about, um, and and helping your sleep. If you're if you know you're not eating at least three or four hours before you go to bed, I found, and this is just me, obviously, I have a much much deeper sleep as a result. Yeah. Um, whereas you know if I've if I've gone out for dinner with friends and family and I've had a late dinner. My sleep is not not so great. It's not bad, but it's 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 still it's still a little bit restless. So um, yeah, yeah, some some great points uh, there, Doctor Ruby. I could talk about uh, nutrition and sleep, and wellness and purpose and everything for, for for a long long time. But I'm just conscious of time. So um, before I let you go, is there there anything that I didn't ask you which you feel would have benefited? the audience no i think like uh we covered quite a few subjects there and i think you know the general principles of healthy eating if we, if we could get more more dads more men thinking about this um yeah. it, it certainly will have a demonstrable impact on more than just our waistlines it's our propensity toward disease and i i truly believe nutrition has a role in every medical specialty that we see which is why like uh, the book itself was centered around zooming in on different conditions and parts of the body and looking at the intersection of diet and nutrition for that. But then also zooming out in the final chapter and actually demonstrating to people, you know what guys, it's all the same. It's exactly the same principles. It's not you eat certain things for your brain or you eat certain things for your skin or, and you eat certain things for immunity. No, it's, it's all the same. It's putting your body in the best environment you can. And it has this innate ability to look after itself because of our natural evolution. So, um, yeah, the, the more people understand that concept, the, the easier and the better it will be. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, also, you know, talking about dads and men, I think we have a responsibility 
it's particularly those who are parents to understand it better because I've been amazed on how my two boys have picked up on what I'm doing now mm. and they are like little sponges they will pick up on stuff and they will actually pick up on that and and unconsciously take it away and act on it mm. um for example this is a bit random before we finish but my I was putting some chia seeds um into my breakfast the other day yeah. and I said to my son what are these Finley and he said they're chia seeds dad and I said well why are they good he said it's 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 omega-3 and it's good for your brain I was like wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> from you know I, obviously I've spoken about it at some point yeah yeah so yeah I think it's it's very important and I think um it, you know it's it, like I said it's our responsibility to to kind of lead by example for for the next generation so so we talked about your book so i've got your um the doctor's kitchen book which we talked about and i've got some favorite recipes in there that i use at least four four or five times a week but your your new book eat um to be illness is obviously out online on amazon um so people can obviously grab a copy of that and then how else can they connect with you? Uh, they can connect with me via doctorskitchen.com. I try and put um, content out via the newsletter quite regularly, once a week now. And, um, yeah, via socials, doctors underscore kitchen on Instagram, uh, Facebook, yeah. and Twitter. Cool. I, mean, I highly recommend Instagram because you quite often do Instagram lives with actually what you're cooking for that evening. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, – avid follower of that so uh, thank you very much for your time today dr rupi it's been fantastic talking to you and um giving us some some really great insights so um thanks again for your time and um, i look forward to speaking to you again soon my pleasure dan take care thanks for listening to the fitter healthier dad podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please hit subscribe and i would really appreciate if you could leave a review on itunes All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.